Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? It's Monday. I'm happy to be here. And I'm lost friends. Doc? Yes. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, just want to be mindful of those who have fought for our freedom and ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice. So after getting off the road and from home and being amongst friends and family, definitely a great weekend to discuss what's going on in a different framework, sports and the intersections between life and other issues. What other issues? Doc, let's Let's talk Baylor. That would be one of the issues. That's one of the issues? Is that one of the issues? How can you allow yourself to get into that point of your program. Just so you know, Wildcat, you're being broadcast live on the KG Fifth with Wildcat and Doc podcast. If you missed it the first time, yeah, welcome, it. welcome, welcome. We're trying something it. a little bit here. We'll okay. see how long it lasts with the Wi-Fi connection. But, yeah, yes, sir. So check out the smooth cap that the Wildcat is, uh, is sporting right there, viewers and listeners. And there is, it is, what it is. the one only Dr. Kenyatta Kavir right there. And I'll show my mug in a second. No, uh, no, it's a holiday weekend. I'm dressed down, no jacket. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no coat and tie. He's just chilling right now. So yeah, you know it's late that weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've got enough. Well, I've got, still got some food now to to chow down into when I get back to the house. But speaking on the topic at hand, this week, well, last few days have been the most interesting in a while for Texas college football on a Division One level. Um, I got to thinking about some things in all the day. One of them is in the annals of NC2A Division One football in our recent time, during not just our, our lifetime, the other outside of the Penn State egregious situation, the two other getting close to one in a death penalty situation and a near situation with uh, what might happen to uh, Baylor Athletics, SMU, Baylor, two former members of the Southwest Conference, which at one time, before they all went their separate ways, six schools were on NC2A probation. And for whatever reason, they all figured, hey, we are all encumbered into one state except for Arkansas. Why should we be adhere to other rules set up for other folks? And that is just from outside looking in, reports and all that that are handed out. Southwest Conference made a decision. It's us and it's everybody else. And we intend on holding on to what we have. Doc, why would you allow your athletic department to get to this point. And the reason I, I mentioned the word, uh, mentioned why is because you already knew something was going on, but you had no institutional control of separation. And it just was allowed to just snowball into where it is now that the whole athletic department may be shut down at some point before the next school term. Is it possible? Is it possible they can shut it down? I 
I guess anything is possible to be theoretically correct. Only because I don't think the NCAA operates in that manner. Again, I think we've learned from the lessons at SMU, and it's even been put on record. They didn't necessarily wanted to do it to SMU, but all the parts and components came together. Mm -hmm. They did it to SMU, and the NCA has really moved away from out now delivering that ultimate death penalty, as it's become known. So they really don't give it particularly what I would call the Power Five conferences and the money conferences. In a lot of ways, they'll find a way to punish the kids coming later, to be frank with Mm -hmm. you. Um, Most other individuals will escape punishment for the most part. You may have a coach or two that gets um, show calls, uh, which um, is a penalty that is placed on coaches where another school that picks them up can, one, gain those same penalties, and, two, they have to show what are they going to do in the framework to make sure stuff doesn't happen again. But I think this is one of the most intriguing case studies in sports they can put out there because it crosses so many lines. You've heard this time term we use that at the intersection of, of academics and athletics, the intersection of the sport of football, the intersection of sports and gender, the intersection of race, the intersection of private institution versus public institution. So there's so many, as I talk about religion, there's so many different frameworks that we can discuss this. But I think in a lot of ways, I think it's very dangerous to point the finger and say as if Baylor is the only academic athletic program, if you would, across the country that has this taking place. I think in a lot of ways they're going to be the case study because of previous cases that have went on there with mm-hmm. certainly what happened to basketball, the, uh, the death of a player by another player makes this heighten in such a way how people are focused on the Big 12 at going in expansion, which is a whole other discussion now that's going to take place this week. So we don't see how fast it is, and I wouldn't be surprised if they hurry up and jump on expansion just to kind of protect Baylor in a lot of ways and close down on this from the media cycle because as it's kind of slow right now, you can see a lot of people going on Baylor in a lot of ways to discuss this. But to get back to your poignant point, how does this happen? I think if we're honest with ourselves in America, sports has become so embedded and so important and so tied to the financial well-being of an institution, it becomes a lot easier to look the other way. No matter how much morals you try to say that we should have as a country, how we should have it as individuals and people, uh, the fact that institutions become larger than people uh, will create the environment that people will do certain things to uh, push themselves up the ladder financially. And then you put on the fact that in a place, in a state, in a region, in a country where football is so important and so inbred into the society uh, that in a lot of ways coaches take on a bigger-than-life experience wow. and framework for a lot of people. So even if they don't necessarily have the worst intentions, because I don't think people go into this with that framework, the pressure can become so big 
and so financial beneficial if you find a way to push some things aside, you'll find yourself doing that more often than not. And ultimately, when that happens, there, at some point, all the Lego bricks, if you would, or building bricks mm -hmm. as we talk about, somebody pulls out the wrong one or the right one, whichever way you want to look at this, it will all come crumbling down. So I think in a lot of these ways is the NCA and Baylor is built on a house, to me, that is not on financial standings. Any time that you are built on the fact that you exploit a group of uh, individuals, how much righteous can you have? How much purity can you have? You can sell us to that. You can get out to push it out there. But at the end of the day, that's a lot of what you're built on. You're going to ultimately sow the seeds of people pushing the envelope in such a way that you get ugly events like this takes place where n now you're not even talking about just the exploitation of athletes. Now you're talking about the exploitation of women and people not caring for them. And still in this country, in a lot of ways, I'll find mm -hmm. close on this thought that it's still ba based on this Eurocentric white patriarchal component where white men control a lot of things. And when they control a lot of things, people will move heaven and earth. To correct it. Not to correct it, to allow it to move no. forward uh -huh. until it comes to the point where it's detriment to the system. Let's be careful. Let's be frank with it. This is not necessarily just about brows. Oh, no. People, uh -huh. Some people have kind of pushed that envelope. Some people have talked about the AD. We're finding out now, and I think Chris will uh, will collaborate, this, that, that uh, he is removing himself from this position. Stepping down, if you would. We already talked about the president moving over. A lot mm -hmm. of people are questioning how does he stay with Baylor. If you know the academic side, a lot of that has to do when you sign your contract. Oftentimes when you become a president of an academic institution, they have writers, uh, which is a whole other conversation. We talked about Georgia's AD having a policy. Yeah. But in contracts, a lot of times they'll have it where uh, that if they're dismissed or if they re are reassigned or what have you, that they actually go back to, uh, to a professorship position of some nature um, because they have tenure status. So mm -hmm. you can't just unilaterally fire somebody with tenure status without going through the process. And so without showing any specific components of where they broken the law, if you would, I'm not sure that you can just push them out the door. So that's why, in a lot of ways, you may see the fact that he's been reassigned from president to a chancellor, basically, in the law school. So those are issues that are real. That's just how we govern different things. And so if it wasn't for the fact, in a lot of ways, of how this is an impending issue on football, what happens to the women becomes secondary. You don't hear much talk other than the general platform is how do we let this happen which is a real issue because we're just not that serious about it. Has it come to a point now that uh, changes that folks just that they talk about, that they will actually do something? I just, it, it, overall in, in, in athletics? And no, I, in my mind, no. We'll, we'll get through this in about a week. It'll be old news unless something comes out. And you probably have some women that'll, forced the issue of bringing their cases uh, to get more media attention and people will look at different angles. But generally speaking, the over framework with this will move on. 
there will be some ramifications, but you'll get a new coach, a new president, a new AD, and things will move forward. Baylor will try to build the blocks, and they will continue to have a factory, and they will continue to have the money associated being with the Big 12, being with the Power 5 conferences. In a lot of ways, uh, this job now becomes one that is – that somebody will want mm-hmm. because financially it's in a position where you get paid well. It's in a conference that is associated with big-time money. And to some degree you show you can win there. Some people will question now, can you win without all these other factors? But most coaches that are worth their salt are going to believe that they can replicate this and do it in a good way. So I believe all in all, for the most part, to some degree, it's going to come back to the same same issues, same framework. Other than a couple of nuances, business as usual. Let's tell the truth. No, 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 no. Let me, let me say this. Let's tell the truth. If Baylor wants to change, then Baylor, the Regents, the Baptist University can get out of Division One sports. If they really want to change, if they really want to talk about it and be about it, then they can voluntarily leave Division One football Go back to probably the true mission statement of the university and its Baptist foundation and get out of big time athletics. That ain't going to happen. So, unless that happens, then they will continue being in the Big 12, waving that banner flag, saying all the right things. We're going to make changes. We're going to do all the right things by our student athletes. We're going to create a safe environment for our students which uh, the report from the Pepper Hamilton uh, law firm noted that the football coaches and football staff put their community and student athletes and the university, their safety at risk because of the decisions that, and actions that, that they allowed to take place under Coach Brow's tenure. So unless they change and get out of Division One athletics, then nothing's going to change. Keep in mind, Dave Bliss and Doc touched on it, a Basketball player, student athlete, was killed. Two of the biggest scandals in NCAA athletics happened where? Baylor. So how much have they really changed from what did they learn when Dave Bliss was in charge? Art Browse. And yet they claim to be a one of the cornerstones of the Baptist faith and religious institutions. We love and they can tell you all these things and tell other people how to be, behave and act and the Christian thing to do. And yet, two of the massive scandals in NCAA athletics happened on your campus. And how, yet, you're supposed to be the, the, one of the flag bearers of religion and, and, and Christianity? That sounds like ma- massive hypocrisy to me. Well, let me ask. So, don't, don't, you know, all this stuff about, well, we're going to do better, we're going to do this. Prove it. Well, let me ask this question here. And this has been the other thing that, that's been banded about is the fact that the community is also a part of the enablement of what transpired. Because it, even if somebody makes a statement or makes uh, a complaint, still someone has to act on I it. I think we mean, you mean community, you mean talking about the police, police? department? The, yes. And it, it, it and the uh, newspaper. Certainly, I think the newspaper, from what I've read, uh, the newspaper has picked up on this and um, not necessarily been complicit. I think they've told some stories because uh, 
So I'm not sure how much I would put on the paper, but generally speaking, yes, these organization entities uh, have been complicit in this framework. But I'm not going to put but so much on them because they can only tell based on what information they're given. Now, you might ask about some investigative mm-hmm. practices by the newspaper. I'm not sure how much Waco really does that and how much money they put in to looking at that. So that's one question you look at. When you look at the police force, I definitely think that you can uh, make, uh, look a little more critical in terms of what they've done. But a lot of this has to go to Baylor, uh, the framework. So I think those may be some secondary institutions. But this really lays at the feet of Baylor University and the NCAA. See, a lot of times we like to act like the NCAA is some nebulous framework. The NCAA is the governing body of this, which is run by the institutions. So what they do in support of the institutions creates a direct bridge in terms of them being complicit in this as well. So I would put more blame in terms of what the NCA has grown and become as an organization than I would so much as the newspaper and the police department. Oh, yeah. Now, I do understand what you're saying. I do think they do have some secondary level of discussion in this. And here's a quote from Art Brawl's book titled Beating Goliath. We wanted mavericks. We wanted guys with no sheet on their bed rather than silk sheets. I wanted tough guys, guys that just had to fight and grind and work everything that they ever earned, someone who had to earn their respect. This is part of his mindset of giving athletes second chances, second and third chances, and and the argument that his supporters have tried to use to defend Coach Browse in the last few days is he gave guys second chances. That's great. But you still need to hold players accountable for their actions once you have them on your campus. Right. Uh, I and he didn't do that. In second chances. And so I agree with that. And a lot of this is still about accountability. Exactly. Uh, but, again, I want to make sure that we don't go in and be like everybody else and just go in on Baylor. Oh, no, because now this we get is, into this. This is a Big 12 issue. This is a Power 5 issue. This is an NCA issue. In a lot of ways, this is uh, the way that America. This is an American society issue. Societal issue in terms of how we look at women and what we have allowed young men to become in this society in terms of their framework of women. So, you know, I will. I'll definitely go in on Baylor, but I'll be the voice that will continue to look at this as a broader picture. Doc. At, at what point did the ball get dropped as far as somebody talking to them, talking to the, the, the fellas? Because that's where we are now. I think I, they have talked to them. But, again, we have to look at what is what creates the environment that would allow an individual to say, let's look at the other way. And there's some statements in there where these coaches and people went back to families and said, don't press charges. Not saying that they didn't think things were wrong. I thought that was the the, the most foul thing that somebody could have done. And so what were they wanting to do? They were wanting to protect the program and the image, and they wanted to be able to still recruit and push forward of ultimately going to the bowl games, playing in these big games, and winning this national championship. So it was all in disguise of, 
don't hurt us because we're tr- we're looking at this big big picture here. So we can get lost in the nuances in terms of how people do this. People do this all the time in terms of corporate America's institutions. They look at the bottom line. They look at what is best in terms of me lining my pockets. Do as I say, not as I do. Right. Doc, headline a few days ago. Power Five conferences see revenue grow by 33% in one year. The Power Five combined for nearly $2.1 billion in revenue during the 2014-2015 season, up nearly $520 million from the previous year. While the NTAA, and this is from uh, John Solomon of CBS Sports, while the NTAA defends amateurism in court, Revenue generated by the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 more than doubled over a four-year period. The Power Five took in a little more than $1 billion in 2010-11 and reached $2.1 billion in 2014-15. Last year was the first season with the college football playoff, the SEC network, and some revised TV money due to expansion and new bowl agreements. Each conference's approximate 2014-2015 payouts per school, per school, goes like this. The SEC, $32.7 million per school. Big Ten, $32.4 million per school. ACC, $27 million per school. Pac-12, $25.1 million. And the Big 12, last but damn sure not least, $23.3 million. (laughs) They're not hurt. They're not hurting. Well, they must be. They must be hurting because they don't have enough money for the student athletes. That's what they say all the time. They must be hurting. I don't want to share my dollar. Am I wrong, Doc? No, that's exactly it. You know, I will greed, not. Greed is a. Is I, a I will not share my dollar. Which is part of the whole mindset and mentality that leads to issues that go unchecked at Baylor and other yep. massive institutions. Let, let's not. Bear our heads in the sand. This is coming off of what we talked about North Carolina. They played for a national championship. With no that that no repercussions. People no. seeing all the time that these kids are going to school to get education. Well, we find a case in fraud of academics and people are like, Well, you know. We all boys in this. We we yeah. just, just you know if it ain't if nobody dying anything yeah. you know. So we hear case after case. We hearing about Mississippi State. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm still waiting for that. So, so they announced their own self-imposed sanctions. No, 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 no. Everybody's gotten into this a self. <laughs> Deprecation and all well, that's Ole Miss. I think I'm talking about Ole Miss, Ole Miss, not Mississippi right. State. Yeah, and getting in this self-deprecation. Uh, we're going to self-discipline ourselves. Well, that's I what mean, the NCAA has asked for. NCAA has set it up in such a way that we actually, they actually would like you to discipline themselves, because that means they don't have to investigate as hard. One and two, when they do, uh, you're agreeing to what sanction to have. So they actually set up the system in this way. So that's why I said you need to look at but, uh, the two come cultures. On now. Come well, on now. Come on now. If I'm left. That's if, the if, system. That's what I'm saying. Let's look at the system. 
we keep looking at independent cases I, 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 and being I frustrated with independent cases, but I'm trying to get you to look at a broader perspective so people can say I, it's I a system that. that is corrupt, that is creating these individual institutions and individual people that are circumventing the rules and chasing the finances. But can I trust you to do what needs to be done? So it's I don't have to come trust. in. It's not about trust. You're just going to just follow the, the what's ever written in it's, black and white, you're just going to follow no, that. No, it's to not the about way. trust. It's about if you report yourself, then I can put out in the papers that see you're trying to do right. And if I can put out in the papers you're trying to do right, and I can cut my costs in terms of my investigators, and people won't question the NCA and those institutions as much, going to say, see, we'll look, we're trying to do the right thing, then people in the general public will not come down on this system as they should. So, again, it's about appearance. It's not about doing the right thing. Right. In a 154-page response to the NCAA, Ole Miss announced that it had self-imposed the loss of 11 total scholarships in football over a four-year period from 2015-2018, including a reduction in three initial scholarships in each of its next three recruiting classes, which allowed the school to sign a maximum of 22 players instead of 25 in each class. According to the NCAA Notice of Allegations, which Ole Miss received on January 22nd, the school was accused of 28 NCAA rules violations in football, women's basketball, and track and field, including 16 that were determined to be Level 1 violations, the most severe under NCAA rules. The Ole Miss program was accused of 13 rules violations, including 8 that were determined to be level one. And let me see, and, and some of the, and this is not including the uh, Laramie Tunsil issues that Ole Miss is still investigating about him receiving money or his, or his, you know, for his mom's bills, light bill and things like that, and all the stuff that was surrounding Laramie Tunsil. They, some of that came out, came to a head on NFL draft night when my man, supposedly his account was, social media accounts were hacked and this information was made public. So that's still, that's a, has yet to be investigated. So time will tell on that. The issues that these sanctions involve go like this. Former assistant coach David Saunders arranged for fraudulent ACT scores for three prospects in the summer of 2010. Saunders and former Ole Miss assistant Chris Vaughn were also accused of unethical conduct related to the testing fraud and they are accused of providing temporary lodging, meals and entertainment for recruits in June and July 2010. Vaughn violated the NTA cooperative principle by communicating with witnesses of an NTA enforcement investigation even after being admonished on several occasions to refrain from having such conversations. During the 2012 2013 academic year, an Ole Miss booster assisted the school in the recruitment of four prospects by engaging in recruiting activities and providing them with recruiting inducements totaling approximately $2,250. The NCA alleges assistant coach Maurice Harris knew of the booster's involvement and at times facilitated his involvement. Mm. Mm. And folks wonder how Ole Miss got good so fast in these last few years. Hmm, I wonder why. And but and, and the other thing too, uh, that when 
situations rise, all you do is just start checking, you know, rosters and all from which states. If you don't see a whole lot moving over, something's going on. Especially in the, in, 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 these, in these Power Five conferences. You don't see a lot of kids now coming over like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. If you see kids not crossing the state line and all and staying in, same way like in Louisiana, then you know somebody's got a lockdown on something. Somebody's got, somebody's got a lockdown on something. Yeah, I left it out there like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge statement. And historically, if you look at the literature, it would suggest that the power schools among the power five tend to stay in powerful positions. So you're saying when you do see irregularities in terms of new programs ascending to the top, you can attribute to them not playing playing the game. Yeah, That's a huge indictment in a lot of ways. Uh, History would say. I ain't far from it. Yeah. In a lot of Can't ways. put my finger on it, buddy. Doc, Wildcat, in light of the Baylor situation, the Waco community is wondering if the economic boom times Baylor helped create in recent years will wither on a green and gold vine. Despite the concern, most city and business officials contacted Friday by the Waco Tribune believe Baylor will recover and Waco's momentum Will remain a force to reckon with. Stop right there. Yeah, I, one, think, it's true. I don't one, think it's true. One year be. ago, they had the issue with the restaurant with the bikers and all. Mm-hmm. A year later, business as usual. The only pre- the only restaurant that shut down was the one that had the accident. They had the uh, incident, <laughs> and, 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 and and somebody else has moved in in that in, in that property. But they are continuing to rebuild downtown, and the three of us have watched that city totally. Reboot, uh, reboot I just, itself. I just literally came from Waco, and, I, and it's, it's, amazing. it's amazing what what is going on. So no, I think it's too too beneficial for the people involved in the economic framework for it to total dissipate. So a lot of people do a lot of things to continue to make this engine move forward, and with the momentum, I think it's going to be hard to do. In a lot of ways, though, um, it will be interesting to tie how well the teams were doing in terms of Baylor football over the last couple of years and will not winning, if that becomes the case, how will that create or recreate the environment there? So I think that's something to look at. It Is there a direct correlation in terms of wins and the economic growth? I think that's a question that you can ask some economists and they will have different uh, thought processes on the two. So that's where I would – first look at. And the other, the other thing you also got to look at, or uh, well, at least just notice, the graduates, are they staying or are they leaving as soon as as soon as the four years are up? You know, is anybody staying over? And and I've been told that the alumni base is a lot, lot larger than it used to be. And they are, they're starting to... Well, the article states the graduates are seeking the opportunity to invest, not leave. Yeah. And are pumping and millions into dog, the decrepit you, downtown you, you, structures. You, you, you watched it, you know, as a kid growing up and all that, so you know uh, from, from that area. Yeah, I think people see economic value in the area. They see growth. Uh, people like a lot of things about Waco, particular, you know, some individuals are not all about going back to larger urban settings. So those that would like mid-urban uh, areas and uh, they see economic opportunity, people will take advantage of it. So... 
as, as the article suggested, you have a lot of people that are investing, meaning they're seeking to grow their careers there. You have enough of people in control and power, which I think is important, mm-hmm. that allows younger people to come in and get their footing and then in some ways create their own power uh, situation. So, no, that's why I said in general this becomes such a larger economic engine than just the institution that there's a need for this to move forward, which goes back to the first discussion that I tried to get at, that this is bigger than one individual or one institution. There's a lot of key stakeholders involved that really all create the environment. You just have a couple of them that are very important positions that the focal point comes uh, when you look at this because of those positions and what they stand for. Well, the Baylor football team has lost three uh, commitments since uh, the Art Browse. That doesn't surprise me. Most most commitments, uh, as people don't want to believe, yeah, they sign with the institution. They go to the coach. Yeah, they sign with the coach. Now, Baylor today has word has come out that the athletic director, Ian McCall, is expected to resign in the near future. But McCall did announce that they have named Jim Grobe the acting head coach for the Bears this season. Uh, Grobe, 64 years old, his last job, I believe, was at Wake Forest about uh, two seasons ago. So Baylor's trying to pick up some of the pieces and on the football field that in, anyway and move forward. Um, in a statement, Jim Grobe said on his hiring as Baylor's interim coach, quote, it is an honor for me to have the opportunity to join the Baylor, the Baylor football program during this important time. I am looking forward to getting to know and working with the coaches and players in the coming days. And I have great respect for Baylor as an institution and its long-standing heritage. As a coach, winning is important. At the same time, I want to assure the Baylor family that every decision we make, we will make in this football program will be made with Baylor University, her students, and our student athletes in mind, end quote. That sounds great. <laughs> you vying for a job. And you're trying to hold hold on. Well, he got a job. He has a job now. But that no, that's that sounds nice and flattering, and and you know he, he says all the right things. Good for him. And in, and in a lot of instances, I think immediately you will see a lot of things change. Some of it that just necessarily that has to change. One of the issues that came out in the report was the fact that two years ago that the federal government said that institutions had to have Title IX mandates to make sure they were reviewing these cases. They didn't even have a Title IX person in position. So you know that's going to change. You know they're going to get somebody in Title IX positions, but then you start looking at other campuses and you find out that Title IX people may not have the power they should have to bring forward these issues. So just because you put people in place doesn't mean things are going to change. And let's be frank with it. This is a culture, and cultures do not change immediately. No. It takes years and processes and people being in key positions and doing key things to make a cultural change. And so that's what I also don't think people understand is when you look at the issue of not dealing with sexual assault cases and how you deal with women uh, in this country, particularly on our college campuses, uh, with regards to sexual violence, um, 
as you brought up one incident that I think has to be told because in a lot of lenses we are looking at this uh, in terms of sports and athletics, but obviously we're a sports podcast and a lot of shows that talk about this. But there's one key uh, stat out there that lets you know that this is beyond just sport. They were saying that there were some 100 cases of sexual assault where 15 were, that were not responded to, all 100, and 15 of them were football. This is Baylor. Football, which means 85 were outside football, 85%. So larger than that. Now, I'm sure that some of these were other sports-related, everywhere from baseball to uh, basketball and things of that nature and other sports. Um, I'm sure there's some cases with same sexual assaults that are not being reported. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously a lot of this that are all outside of athletics and just institutional-wise. So, again, this is a culture on campus where young men think they have the right to force themselves on women without recourse. And the institution didn't follow up on this and has essentially turned a blind eye and said women, they almost need to police and protect themselves, that they will not get any help or insurance. So this is a culture on this campus in particular, and I would say in a lot of ways this is a culture across America. Again, I won't uh, let that escape. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, it just happens that because this is tied to football, and football is so big in this country, that we'll turn a focal eye to this and really dig in. And oftentimes we won't look back at ourselves to say, how have we been complicit in creating this environment and culture ourselves? Lack of institutional control is a big word these days. Yeah, it, it, it's just an NCAA word. It, um, them to say so what you're is, trying to do. It doesn't mean much to me, really. Well, let me ask this question then. The systemic problem that they've got at Baylor, uh, and as you referenced across this country, you know, it's, it, it's got, uh, uh, athletes, athletics on the men's side, have they reached? Well, I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they've reached a, a peak or, or a... No, this will continue to happen because I know where you're going at. This goes back to where we want to really put a face to this. Yeah, hopefully. It's what happened to the NFL when we had the Ray Rice incident. Gotcha. And we could not that. run from it anymore because right. it was in our face on camera. Yep. And it happened to the biggest organization, one of the most popular organizations, one of the richest organizations up there, and how they handled it. And if we go and focus what took place there, we had a judge that came out and said Roger Goodell lied. Yeah. Yeah. When he punished Ray Rice the second time, saying that Ray Rice didn't tell the truth and tried to put all that out there. We had a... Judge, and see, we were quiet about that. We didn't really go in on that. But if you read that case, and some people have spoke about it, but the fact is that Roger Goodell, the leader of the most popular organization in sport in this country, lied because he wanted to protect his, the interests and, as they said, protect the shield. Yeah, yeah. So the shield, the organization was more important than the value of a woman being caught on television being accosted. Yep. So let's go. If that happens to our best and brightest, 
it shouldn't surprise you that this happens to an institutional level, what we believe is supposed to be an academic vestige of interest. But we know that's long been gone for most of our institutions, that of these academic factors. And I go again, if we cover the cloud over an organization and all of us want to try to celebrate this organization that it has all the interest that went from amateurism and now we let them to cloak this into a college model that we exploit individuals playing this game and don't want them to have a piece of the financial pie. Everything else is secondary. Everything else will be destroyed. Everything else will be fake. Everything else is about us pushing forward the individual interests of a few. Mm-hmm. So it won't change. Mm-hmm. This is just a cosmetic framework of a smaller incident that is a larger damaged organization that is built on fraud in every way conceivable. So until we address that elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about, all this other is just nice conversational components that we can puff out our chest and act like that we really care about what is taking place. In this incident, young women on our campuses. How far do we allow, I know we, that's, yes, how far do we allow caveman mentality to be, <laughs> yeah, Doc, when you, when you, sometimes you, you have to go, yeah, you know, I, you have to, you have to make simplicity and you have I'm to be. Not, I'm not mad. I, I appreciate that frankness. Because it, and I'm trying not to just go, I realize that I'm talking in, uh, uh, in a public forum. And I got to realize that I just can't. Which just is fair, that. yes. We, we still but, need to make sure that we have some mindful dis- it, it just, discourse. In it just bothers place. me that in this day and time that there are a few that think caveman mentality is an acceptable. Because person. it has been accepted. Let's be frank again. Oh, I, understand, I understand that so part of it. So you have but, some out but, there that are dealing with this, but in the greater scheme of society. more than a few. Yes, we have accepted this in our pictures, in our music, and I'm not just talking about one genre. I'm talking about the overall oh, yeah. frame. Because yeah. people are like to pigeonhole this into small cultural dynamics mm-hmm. and cultural gr- groups and ethnic groups or musical groups such that they can say that overall we're okay. And that's one of the problems we have. And we're not we okay. push this in terms of sport, maybe a sporting issue. We push this in terms of a musical issue or maybe an entertainment issue. This is a issue with who we are as people in this country and how we have dealt with women for a very long time. For a very long time. Mm-hmm. And again, it takes years of people with a conservative and earnest effort not just to do this because this is the topic of the time to create this change. We talk about this in terms of equity and equal rights. We still know by research that women are not treated equally in this country. Oh, yeah. From the very simple autonomy in terms of financial, addressing them financially for the work they do. And that's not changed. Mm-hmm. So if we're not willing to look at somebody equally on this, uh, we have a candidate that is running. Uh, for the president of he the United stole my States. thought. <laughs> and so we have an issue in regards to that. People are addressing some of their concerns with her, but some of the bottom line concerns is people just don't see that that the ultimate power position in this country should be led by a woman, similar to what you had 
eight years ago and four years ago in terms of that position be held by somebody of color. Yep. Oh, yeah. We haven't really grappled with this. And outside of race or ethnicity issues, as I really like to talk about it in terms of cultural nuances of people not being able to really talk about racism in this country, the other issue that we really are not able to talk about this in terms of gender equality. True. And sexuality. We're not comfortable with those three types of conversation. So if you're not comfortable really talking about it, how can you really address it? Well, we are. That's why we're discussing on these podcasts, but we are Absolutely. a small a small small fish in a massive sized ocean willing to discuss topics like this. And we thank publicly. our listeners that enjoy us uh being frank about our discussions and, and we encourage you to continue to let us know that you appreciate the dialogue that we have on this given issues when we look at the intersection between politics and sports, race and sports, gender and sports. As as our hashtag, you know, I, I hope it, it catches on at some point that one of the hashtags about our podcast is sports and more because we discuss more than sports on these podcasts and some folks uh, may not be comfortable with, with some of those topics. But if you're not comfortable with those topics we discuss, then as the Wildcat is known to say, that perhaps that's a you problem, yep. not a me problem. It is our ability, uh, hopeful, hopefully, to enlighten and encourage you to think outside the box, as they say, and step beyond your corner. Yes. Step off the curb. Step beyond your comfort zone. Because let me just say this, add a little bit to it. I'm going to go back into uh, NFL and another hiccup that they hope is a hiccup. But uh, regarding politics and the presidential campaign um, and the elections, uh, there are some people who will not vote for Hillary Clinton simply because she's a woman. And Period. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, oh, yeah. that's just tell the truth about that. And, and that bothers me more than anything else. And yet they will vote for the other person who has come out and criticized, publicly criticized women has made fun of women's appearance, made fun of, treated them as sex objects, on and on and on and on and on. But, oh, well, he's coming from a, he's speaking from a position of strength. So despite the fact his substance lacks, but as long as he's saying, saying his drivel strongly in a firm voice, well, I'm going to vote for him. Okay, that's your prerogative. But just remember this. Buyer beware. Well put. Now back to the NFL and their hiccup. A few days ago, about a week ago, at least a half dozen top NFL health officials waged an improper behind-the-scenes campaign last year to influence a major U.S. government research study on football and brain disease. Congressional investigators have concluded in a new report. The 91-page report describes how the NFL pressured the National Institutes of Health to strip the $16 million project from a prominent Boston University researcher and try to redirect the money to members of the league's committee on brain injuries. The study was to have been funded out of a $30 million quote unquote unrestricted gift the NFL gave the NIH, National Institutes of Health, in 2012. When the, when the NFL Players Association heard about this, 
They were livid. It's just, but they were they felt justified in saying, "See, another reason why why we don't trust the owners, why we don't trust the Goodell, and all you know, have, you know trying to backdoor us." So exactly, but and this seems to back, you know, legitimize their concerns and beefs with Goodell and the owners. But those same players agreed in the collective bargaining agreement to make Goodell what. The judge, jury, jury and executioner in, right. in their um, legal issues and suspensions and all those things. Oh, yeah. So, players, you have yourself to blame. You gave this man the power in the CBA. So, unless you can get it back from it in the next CBA, there's only so much you can do. Gentlemen, mm-hmm. we touched on this in previous podcasts. We have an update uh, thanks to the school newspaper, The Phoenix. At Oyola Chicago has come out. Uh, I think it came out yesterday with a little bit more information regarding Shell Swoops head coach at Loyola Chicago about uh, allegations of players physical mistreatment. This is the new information came out uh, May 29th. This is launched by the Phoenix and this is the school paper. Uh, the allegations detail Swoops micromanagement of players lives outside of basketball. That's not new. The new information says, uh, has an, an update. One, this is the paper. One, not only of a lack of respect for members of Loyola's women's basketball program, but also of alleged physical mistreatment and a generally uncomfortable environment. In some cases, Swoops was not directly involved, sources said, but players in the program said her indifference toward the students fostered an unusual atmosphere around the team it's kind of vague and nebulous but 2014-2015 swoops through a cup of water at a player after becoming upset according to multiple sources who witnessed the incident and requested anonymity Hold that on. player uh, go ahead. now I'm, I'm being facetious but you know somebody asked this question in the com- in, 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 in the in taking the report was it a paper cup, plastic cup? Now, and, and, and this oh, yeah. has yeah, a cup of water. Okay. Okay, the next season, that player transferred. The next season, assistant coach Mahogany Green, love that name, Mahogany oh, yeah. Green, yeah. forcefully threw a basketball at sophomore guard Tashania Edwards after she made a mistake in a team drill, according to four players who were at the practice. Edwards, who was one of the 10 departing players, confirmed the incident but declined to comment. Green, who left Loyola's program on May 25th to be an assistant coach at Colgate, denied the allegations. Quote, I don't remember that happening, said Green. I don't abuse players. I've been coaching 15 years. I do my job, and I do my job well. That's not in my character, end quote. Green's departure makes her at least the sixth assistant coach to leave Loyola in swoops three years as the head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, during swoops' time at Loyola, coaches have taken textbooks and laptops away from players on road trips, telling them to focus on basketball rather than academics, according to four former Loyola players. Now, that's not good. Quote, that part there I got were instances... With where players on the road needed to do their homework and swoops would take laptops like 
This is a quote. We're here to play basketball. That's what we're here to do. End quote. Said a player on the 2015-2016 team who requested to remain anonymous. It's just like, aren't we student athletes? Doesn't the student come first? Bless her heart. Since when? Bless her heart for her, na- her naivete. <laughs> oh, my On goodness. various occasions, some members of the coaching staff, including Swoops, would drink at bars after hours on road trips, according to multiple players. Those players said although the drinking never got out of hand, the coach's inconsistent rules frustrated the team. Here's a quote from one of the anonymous players. It was very unprofessional. We lose respect for you when you don't allow us to do our homework on the computer. Well, you can sit at the bar and drink, and that's okay. End quote. Yeah, and they go, everybody's smiling here because they go along with all the good stuff. Yeah, it, but I think if you put the two together, as they said, yeah. it's the inconsistency and the fact. Yeah. It's not so much that they were drinking at the bar. Right. It's the fact that they had this attitude saying that you need to be focused on basketball. Yeah. And they weren't totally focused on basketball when they were drinking at the bar. Right. right. Because uh, we all know a couple of coaches that. Hold on. Let me, let me finish. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let me finish. No, I'm not talking about the drink part. I'm talking about after a game that you lose, you ain't concerned about nothing but I don't want to be different. Right, and let's talk about why. It's because they wins are directly related to the fact right. of them keeping their job, right. which is the professional side. Yeah. But you're and trying to co-act yeah. something that is not professional right. with the students. It doesn't work. Right. Go ahead, Chris. When Swoops and her, her coaching staff would become upset with the team, they would call late-night meetings at around midnight according to multiple players. One player told the Phoenix she was visiting her parents in her hometown when the coaches called for a meeting, and she said she was forced to drive more than an hour back to Loyola's campus late at night to attend the meeting. Since the players' departures, Swoops and her assistant coach, one who still remains, have taken the time to unfollow and block a number of 2015-2016 players and their parents on Twitter after the players decided their Loyola careers were over. That's it. Yeah, I, I'm glad that they shared it so a lot of people get the inside yeah. picture. But I think what's going to be disturbing in a lot of ways, I'm not sure how many people are going to be aggrieved about what they heard. Because uh, for, for us that are inside this, that cover yeah. us, most of this is not really any different than you see a lot of programs. What I am glad to hear, though, and I think this is going to be a bigger refrain uh, going forward is the fact that you have students that are becoming activists. Yeah. Let's be careful with that. Some people are nervous when you bring that up. There. But, but that, you have students you that are starting to understand they have a voice. You got to have it And they're questioning this. And for the longest in sports, when we talked about the coach retiring from uh, SMU on the women's basketball side. Ronda Rampola. And one of her points was is that she saw it not just as them having a voice, but she actually saw it that them being she, what? Challenging her. No. What was the term she used that they were? I don't remember exactly, but it, it, but a lot of coaches don't like to be challenged. It, it, well, no. Which is essentially where we're going. Yeah. But they, they felt. She didn't really like them, them thinking for themselves. Exactly. She felt they were coddled. Yeah. And so when you have that. Today's f- players, she can't coach today's players. That's really what she talked to you, you know, right. saying. Because she said, she said that in a lot of ways that we, that, that the kids felt that they had the right to do this. And she didn't like that. Entitled. Well, thought they were entitled. Right. Yeah. And so when you look at that entitlement, 
I'm just saying that you have students now, young people now, that are becoming more educated than ever and understanding in a lot of ways that they believe they should have a seat at the table. And in here, direct here, correlation the is the fact, and last thing I will say here is you talking about also a coach that most recently is coming out of professional ranks to college. So she brought a lot of those professional thought processes with her. True. Here's a quote back when uh, this is from Coach Rompola. Kids are not as coachable as they were years ago. I see kids sometimes talking back to their coaches, and it's like a way of life. I'm just being honest. The rules and everything they get, they haven't taken time to appreciate. I was happy to have a scholarship. Kids nowadays are more concerned about when their next cost of attendance check is. It's just a different world. Exactly. And that's how most coaches think. You should just be happy that you got a scholarship. Maybe I'm old school. It's not necessarily what I signed up for, and I'm not going to adjust my coaching to the way kids are these days. And she made the right decision. That's how it is these days. Coaches having to adjust to kids rather than kids having to adjust to coaches. End right. quote. We've seen it this at the mm-hmm. professional oh, level yeah. Yeah. where players are starting to understand their power. So they're asking that they are part of the relationship, more like an organization. When you ha- you might have a CEO, but so many people will tell you some of the best CEOs are those that have different people throughout the organizations that see themselves as part of the organization, almost if they are part of the equal in terms of part of the solution. So that is translated into uh, sports at the professional level, and now you see it disseminating downwards at the college level, particularly when these same athletes see these coaches obtaining so much. Yeah. And they are getting so little. So they want to be p- more a part of the discussion. As millennials, many people will tell you, it's no longer good enough to tell a millennial, you need to do this. We don't even realize that we've provided young people with so much ins- information, they start to ask people in power now, some for the right reason, because we've also told them in a lot of ways that they shouldn't trust everybody. So now they're asking you why. And some people mentally are not prepared for that. And they think it's you questioning their authority. authority. They're not always really questioning their authority. They just want to be educated and understand. So why do I need to work out? Well, you need to work out because you need to take care of your body. Why do I need to eat this? Well, you need to eat this because it's better for your body and it's going to make you do what you want to do better. So that's what they're asking. How do I get better? You've seen a lot of players tell you most players are not against really being coached hard. But they want to make sure that you're going to you're coaching them hard so they can get better. So they're not asking questions just to question authority. They're asking questions in terms of wanting to understand how does this make me better. And so as you have these coaches that do not understand it and are part of this old school mentality, if we want to call it that, then you're going to continue to see these problems as well. Two things before we, then we wrap it up here. Mike D'Antoni hasn't been formal press conference has not uh, been announced yet. Why not? But uh, on a serious that's a good question. I read it. I think some of that may be the part that how much can you actually name the coaches during the playoffs? And, uh, uh, and I, I, so, if I'm not on it, I'm signing a check. I'm. I, I'm no, like, no, most this Rox's job is the last one to be filled. Okay. Because the Grizzlies announced they're hiring David Fisdale, former Heat assistant coach. Yeah, but I'm talking about have they had media. I think most of them have. Okay. Yes, most of them have. But D'Antoni's new head coach, your thoughts? 
I think uh, it works in terms Buckets. of uh, from an off, off, offensive platform that the game ought to be exciting. They're going to be up and down. But if you're looking at championships, most people still will tell you that championships are built of, of what you're able to do on the defensive side of the ball, which is what we'll find out tonight. Whoever plays the best defense tonight is going to be oh, yeah. fine. Which leads me to my next part of it, and that's kind of why yes. I was going in that, is, is that we have a game seven excited about that, and some people question whether Oklahoma City has fought falling apart. But going back to the Houston, I think in a lot of ways, offensively, like I said, there should be a match. There's still going to be some questions in terms of just how he's going to design this open system and how it will fit with James Harden, uh, the beard, in terms of moving forward. But I think a lot of people still have the question on the defensive side of the court. And for ultimately what Houston people want to know because of championships in their history is will this lead to a championship and that's what the organization keeps saying we're doing all this to get to a championship team and that's where a lot of question marks are coming up people do not see Dan Tony uh, as a fit to push him to the next level in terms of winning a championship no well when the season ended and the Rockets were eliminated by the Warriors in the first round GM Daryl Morey stated uh, basically that we're going to evaluate everything but we need to improve our team team defense. And That's, you make a move like this. You make a move like this and said, we're improving. Now, I understand you don't want to give up your power position. But at some point, it goes back, it goes to what Doc said. People's tired of just going to the playoffs and watching the team get out there and people play. People who? The, no, I'm serious. People no, who? The The... Season ticket holders. Okay, say and that. Answer. And the fans are because I'm not sure that the right. Daryl Morey and, and Les are. Oh, because they, could, they can say one thing. Right. And they show but something But their else. actions speak See, differently. Because it wasn't until late in the season when the lower bowl was almost empty. Upper bowl is it still what it is because that's just the everyday fan. It's got, they get the, the tickets are handed out. Uh, they buying them, you know. They pick up those pages now to get those late uh, late season games, and it's toward the end of the season. Yeah, I'm gonna go because I hadn't been. Yeah, there are a lot. Uh, but traditional fans <laughs> that are more tied in, yeah. so they don't go up and down as much as you right. do with the. And everything is up there for them, and they just try. They go to the game. But when you have a, I think fifteen hundred dollars seat on a season ticket holder. And that person doesn't show up, and those seats are empty when you go to TV. That's not good. There's some concern. And I'll be asking some questions. If you're concerned about money, at that point, I'm going to be asking some questions. Why that seat is not full? Why somebody's not sitting in that seat? Has anybody renewed? Well, it's going to be a four-year deal for Dan Tony. Last year will be at the team's option. Uh, Jeff Bisdelic is going to be hired. Should expected to be hired as the defensive guru uh, for the staff. It's all going to come down to James Harden because he can say, you know, he can score and, and get assists and his stats look great. Look great this year. Did not earn him a spot on the first, second or third team all NBA this year. <laughs> and, uh, it, okay. So we'll see if he takes that as, as a challenge and an affront to maybe I need to look at myself and have some in- introspection and why, my the media that I think I deserve a spot on, on either one of those three teams. Okay, how is that? Is that a media vote? That's, that's media vote. Okay, did, did, 
and you can go to NBA.com. And your and your because that, that's your beat. Cut my blog too. You can go to my blog. There's a link at the bottom of the post about you can go to. to oh, oh trust me, I've watched. I, I've, I've been there. Uh, but in your opinion, what you saw this season? Nope. If I had a vote, I wouldn't put him on on either one of the three teams either. That solves it right nope. there, folks. That nope. solves it right there. He's there on a regular basis, and, that, and that's his beat. Because you're, I look, respect you're, that. you're looking at uh, Clay Thompson, uh, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry. A Kyle Lowry. I mean, go through all the guys who who were named a first and third team, who and they did more for their team than James Harden did. You know, that's that's my opinion. Let me see if I can pull up all three of the the uh, guard spots on here. Um, I got we got Westbrook, Steph Curry, first team, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, second team, Clay Thompson, and Kyle Lowry, third team. James Harden opened better all, none of those six this this past season. Was not better than none of those six, in my opinion. So, that, there you go. That's right. There you go. You got it right there from the KG. So, we'll see how, how it all comes down to James Harden. Because folks can say, and Harden, and his people can say, great numbers, man. You're one of the three people to put up 29, 7, and 6. You know, LeBron and, and Oscar Robertson did it. You're a great you're a company right there. But you were done in the first round. You got to play defense. Folks can criticize and, and say what they want about Steph Curry. Steph Curry plays defense. That's true. Steph Curry puts he puts forth effort on defense. That's true. All these guys are named once again. They put effort. Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry. All six of them play defense. All six of them play defense. All six of them put forth effort on defense. And the all and all six of them also are catalysts in the team's offense as well. So it can be done to do well on both sides of the ball. Both sides of the floor. So, Mr. Harden and his people need to realize that. And if that's if that's if this is important to him, if winning a championship is important to him, then he must do the little things to help his team get to that level. If getting endorsement deals and and you know all that kind of money, off court money is more important, then keep doing what you're doing. But it also goes back to Les and Daryl Morey. James Harden is a part of the team. He may be the leader of the team, but he's, he's the unquestioned leader of the team. He's the unquestioned best player on the team, but he's part of that team. You cannot allow him to go on a separate bus to get to road games. That's that's the owner and GM. If, if they come. allow that, come. you cannot allow that to happen. The, and If you allow it to happen, you cannot wonder why don't his players like James. Why don't they bust their butts hard for him? Well, why should we? If you allow the superstar to be different than the rest of us, watch my bust my behind. If you're just going to say, it's okay, James, you, you did what you could. It's the other guy. It's the other guy's fault. If that mentality was allowed this season, that's why you were 41-41. So don't ask questions wondering what was wrong and say all these things about, well, we had some players come out of shape, which you did. If the head coach who said those things, you fired left game to the season. When he challenged the players for not coming in camp ready for NBA basketball, yeah. So look in the mirror. Yeah. If be the change you want to be, you you want to see happen. Mm. How can folks find on the internet, sir? They can find me across the the World Wide Web platform, uh, social media, and uh, Facebook, tweet, tweet deck. And J.L. Woodley 1, 
Jerry L. Woodley Jr. SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, sport, uh, uh, Blogspot at AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report. Doc? Yes, they can find me on the social media platforms of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D R K E N. Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L D-R-K-E-N Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L uh, You can find me on SoundCloud as well uh, That's at Dockerville's Inside HBCU Sports Lab radio show or podcast Which is based off the radio show that we do live on um, KKVQ 92.9 In the KCOH Historic Studio right here in Houston In the Looking Glass Studio if you would Every Tuesday from 6 to 7 Central Time uh, again, if you can't catch it live on Tuesdays, you can go to the pod class on SoundCloud at Dr. Ville's Inside HBCU Sports Lab. You can also, as of late, we've been uh, putting up the video uh, web streaming of the show on uh, Facebook and Twitter. So, again, if you follow me on those mediums, you'll be able to get the podcast of the show. For those that like to listen to it as they ride and different things on their own time or when they work out, you'll be able to catch it on SoundCloud again at Dr. Ville's. Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, HoustonRoundBallReview.com, Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram, Houston Round Ball Review on YouTube. I'm on Twitter at T H E H R Review. You can catch a podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Pod Directory. I'm in the process of updating. The Houston Round Bar View website good, to make it Chris. smartphone compatible. Thank you, sir. It's still a process. I got a lot more pages that are that I realized to update. So I'll get there when, and I'll be finished. But the main pages have been updated. Uh, the podcast page is updated. You can look at it on your on your uh, tablet or your smartphone, and you get see the shirts. difference. Get your shirts. We got shirts. Still, we have eight shirts available. You can order those at the website HoustonRoundBarView.com. We're going to order some more with the uh, larger adult sizes. So place your orders for those as well. Um, gentlemen, real quick. Game 7, Warriors, Thunder. Will the game be close? Yeah, I do. I yes, hope so. I, think, I hope so. I think it'll be a well-played game. I think it'll be close, at least for the majority of the game. Uh, you might see Golden State kind of pull away. Well, one of the two teams, I'm thinking maybe Golden State, if it is, pull away at the end. But I think relatively speaking. Is anybody picking close. OKC? I they had ability to be shot. They had ability to go and, in, and there. only because I, I think they've they, they, they not only have they found themselves, they realize what they've you know that it's almost like KD is tired of being on the outside looking in. My he, concern he is game six down the stretch. My concern with OKC is the fact when games get closer. They don't have as much room for error, and they tend right. not and, to play and, really well in close games. So that's my concern. If they find a way to pull away in the game, then they'll play from front runners and they'll play the style they like to play, and they can be very aggressive, and then they can run them off the court. So, But I can't see Golden State in the game seven allowing Oklahoma State, excuse me, Oklahoma City, to pull away like that. So that's why I say it goes uh, to the Warriors if it's close because they'll find a way to get it done. I think they'll be the one that'll find a way to stretch it out. Well, I was looking. My prediction was looking really good 
until the Thunder turned the ball over five straight times down a stretch in the fourth quarter Saturday in game six. I said OKC in six. Their crater job and collapse down the stretch gives me pause, but I'm not going to jump off the ship. OKC is going to find a way to win tonight and shock the world, shock the Bay Area. Thunder in seven. Sound like the Wildcats picking them. OKC to win in seven. Win on the road. It's hard to win on the road in game seven. It really is. It really is. It really is. It really is. History says well, that. But it's first things first, I hope it's a competitive game and for throughout. Yeah. I don't want this to be a blowout. I, I mean, it, it'd be so anticlimactic. We've seen a lot of great ball in these first six games. So, you know, I mean, the games overall really not have been close. Right. You know, but game. hopefully it's competitive and then we'll see. And uh, that's why I don't, I'm not sure how one. close to the V because I think the styles – Similar as we say, make fights and it's so different in this. And I think it comes in a lot of ways to what we've seen. Is Oklahoma's been talented right there, and mm-hmm. they got added a mo- some more pieces mm-hmm. of the puzzle that has pushed them forward. But in terms of the heart of the champion, which those in this region right here in Houston definitely have heard that refrain. And I think that's what played into last game is as you establish yourself mm-hmm. and been there, it's so much different than you trying to climb the mountain and close that door. Until you had that opportunity, you just don't realize how tough it is to close a team out that has a tasted it and understands what it takes to close out games to get it done. And if you find a way to let them stick around like they did and you have Clay, you got to talk about how talented it is. Two last things. One, LSU, once again, two years in a row, they've made it back to the College World Series, and that's uh, that. Those games start on Thursday. I think about the women. Week. Oh, women, yeah. Now, on the fella side, this was interesting. Uh, I basically told you, you know, that, that the way voting was going, going, and the way what the, the season had gone for U of H, they needed to basically it, it went out. There was no know. voting. You know, U of H didn't get the job done in the season, and uh, <laughs> didn't get it done to close it out. So they, they're sitting uh, at home. So the, the American sends in UConn, Tulane, and East Carolina. Conference USA sends in, as usual, the. Usual suspects, Rice. The non-champion Rice Owls uh, of Carmen to say. They did not win the Carmen Championship this year. The yeah. streak of 20 straight ended yesterday. Yeah. It's a loss of Southern Miss. So the non-champion, I'll say it, Wildcat. Say it. I know it's hard for you to say, Hootie Who. Hey. Say it. The 20-year streak ended yesterday. Say it. The non-championship right. Right. Rice Owls. Number 16, right. The non-championship so Rice Owls. I knew they were going to make it. I knew they were going to get to the tournament. So they didn't win the tournament. No. I Thank know. you. He, I, knew see, they gonna, see, I knew they were going to make the tournament. See, he's not. He, he, I knew they were going to make the tournament. It's hard to say I, that. I, I, this, will, this will be my quick HBCU sports report. It'll be interesting to see Bethune-Cookman face Alabama State in the Super Regionals, best two out of three. Wait a minute! Hold on! Hold on! Joking. I know, but they they're in the regional with Florida, the number one seed, as right. the number four seed, twenty nine to twenty five, coming out of the MEAC and Bethune Cookman Wildcats, defeating FAMU, the favorite going in. Right, they won a brilliant game that was played, one run game, few hitters in that game, as the home run came in the eighth inning. That allowed that Bethune Cookman defeated Norfolk State. Then you had another well played game between Texas Southern trying to go back to back. They were defeated by Alabama State. That ended up going 28 and 0 against SWAT competition, 24 and 0 in the regular season, and then 4 and 0 in the tournament as they defeated the knockoff Texas Southern 75. Uh, the game that went in the top of the ninth that actually 
came down to uh, inches, if you would, in a lot of ways, as the ball just went down the third field, like just inches, it probably would have tied the game up and, and gave a lot of momentum to Texas Southern. One out, it goes down, strikes out, uh, ground ball to the next player. Alabama State does the impossible, wins 7-5. to five. They're in the region with Florida State, and that's why I'm joking. First time I've seen it set up. Yeah, they and, come and, out of regions, they will play in the Super Regional. One thing is we starting to run out of time that I want to say is another thing that kind of goes back to these Power Fives. West Coast was shut out. Midwest was shut out just a couple of years ago. They backed off the season to try to make baseball more regional friendly. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously what took place this year, we'll see is this a trend that continues. Is not the case. Um, yeah, only one of the seeds – only one of the seeds is not from the Power Five schools, which is the number one seeded University of Louisiana Lafayette, forty-one and nineteen, uh, hosting a regional there. Yeah. All the others are Power Five, and it becomes even aggregated more than that. As I said, the Big Ten was left out, the Pac-12 was left out. Seven of the regionals are SEC programs. Right, right. Six are from the ACC. Two from the Big Twelve. And as I said, the one in Louisiana Lafayette that is outside of the Power Five make up the 16 seeds. If you go to the top eight seeds, it becomes even more uh, regionally in terms of what takes in place. Top eight seeds, four of them are from the SEC, three of them are from the ACC, and then um, the one from the Big 12, which is Texas Tech. So top eight seeds, Florida. Louisville, Miami, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Mississippi State, Clemson, and LSU. So, again, the power schools with all the money are dictating what is taking place. And, and the other three schools from the conference yesterday is uh, uh, Florida Atlantic, Louisiana Tech, and Southern Miss. That's it. I'm good to go. Thank you for that baseball update there. Anyway, back Sorry. to people, it's sports people care I. about. It's, it's uh, I was glad he was friendly and let us close but, it out. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, on his face, was like. So, so, <laughs> so, so anyhow. He's going uh, to take it down there and get him drunk at the so, baseball game. So, uh, anyhow. <laughs> cheap beer and wine. For all, all, all my, my, uh, my Cougar alum, my fellow Cougar alums out there, winning is hard. Winning yeah. is hard to do. You see what happened to the baseball team. Winning is hard. Football team went thirteen and one last year. Yeah. You need to get out there and celebrate. You need to, you need to appreciate down there in Austin. What is happening? Tell you how hard it is because Garrido is out. Winning yeah. is hard. Yeah. That that was a hard one for me. That, that, Winning that, is hard because I actually know him now. Yeah. So he's gone. Yeah. Football September third season starts versus Oklahoma at Energy Stadium. Mm. Last check, uh, 60,000 60, tickets had been sold already. We'll see. Oklahoma. What, what happens uh, with the announcement of Big 12, 60,000 have been sold out Oklahoma? last week. Wow. I'll probably say 40, 20 Oklahoma, probably. But uh, U of H is going to be in the house. You can trust that. I already got my tickets. I and I got that. a lot of folks going to be there when uh, Cougar Red. Yeah, things are rolling Games right 11, now. 11 o'clock uh, kickoff. Yeah. I have to tailgate early. So drink early, get drunk. Sober up in time for the kickoff. Especially if they find some good news that may trickle out this weekend as the Big 12's meeting and a lot of so, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping for, on the table. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, we'll, I'm we'll, we'll see what, what they yeah, announce because numbers-wise, depending on your perspective, yeah. you know. Um, 240 million Fertitta, and, and upgrade. Tillman Fertitta. That, that's a lot of money. The U of H, uh, you know, Board of Regents uh, president, 
has said, you know, he's pushing. Uva is he's pushing. The Chronicle has articles about Uva deserves, deserves being a better conference as the Big Twelve. Doc and I already talked about this. We prefer them being the Pac twelve, but it numbers wise, market wise, Uva Houston is the largest market compared to every other team no in the Big Twelve. About, no question, you know, city wise. I mean that just yeah, that part is obvious. But the other things, personal politics. Oftentimes, get in the way. Get in the way of of those things. So we watched that. I'm not expecting it to happen. But I accept it if it happened. I still prefer being the Pac-12. But I would accept it if it did happen because I still think the Big 12 is a sinking ship. But yeah, and let's get this last thing in as we tease tease them. Is the fact Los Angeles Raiders. I think it's a real deal. Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas. Someone just uh, just uh, uh, got back from gambling out there and told me said. There is a large clearing and a stadium going up. I said that that place will be jumping on Saturday. Uh, I think they're going to find so, a way to make that happen. It's yeah. going to be like closer, and we'll, we can go into some detail on the next podcast. Because a little tease for the yeah. listeners out there. But the money is there. Go and look up and see what you can find out about Las Vegas Raiders because it looks like the Money's power there. players are going to do it. Professional teams want to get in there. Uh, hockey, oh, yeah. they might be making a move. MLS is serious about it. But does the NFL want to be the first people in the door? It'll be interesting to see. And I think that as, as time has passed, and there's a lot more things reg- have changed. changed. Yeah, things and, have changed. And to make this more of a reality, right? Than ever. And Las Vegas is a city, as we've all found out, that can handle a large allotment of planes, aircraft oh, on, on the weekend. terms of on, flights that go in there, in terms of the number two hundred mm-hmm. plus. Uh, you're talking about mega corporations, you, you so it, hotel spaces, all that stuff is available, and the financial uh, framework is there for them to be able to really uh, expound on that market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now we're ready. Last but not least, um, the Undefeated has launched, and there's an article. Well, two things. Uh, Undefeated is has launched. It's on um, undefeated.com. I like, colleague, I like what's going on there. So Mark Spears is part of that president of, of the National Association of Black Journalists, posted articles today. Uh, today is Billy Donovan's birthday, head coach of the OKC Thunder. Mm. But Billy Donovan, one of his mentors and good friends, yeah. is Dr. Harry Edwards. Ooh. And uh, all three of us know yeah. Dr. Harry Edwards. And those of you who don't, Google it. Yeah. Google Dr. Harry Edwards and Actually, you'll learn a lot. Um, Trust me on met that met him two years ago in person. In Austin during the Black Student Summit, as he was doing a great job closing up with a speech, I had him sign his original book. It was in the old cover. It was actually one of the original copies, and he was so surprised. He's like, "Man, this is real. I need to get. I don't even have any more of these." But he signed the book and took a couple pictures, and so it's on Instagram if you want to check it out. It's a pretty cool experience, and you're right. For that to be the connection, it's very intriguing. So we're gonna wrap it up. Gentlemen, thank you as always. Thank you also for us having the networking and fun we had on Sunday at the spot. And we're going to we have a surprise in store for listeners and viewers in the future. So just keep listening to these podcasts. Keep following us on uh, the Facebook page, KG, Fifthwood Wildcat, and Doc Facebook page. Thank you for your time, fellas. Thank you for your insight and your opinions. Order your shirts, folks. Finally got the uh, person in Colorado to send me a picture of wearing the shirt. Nice. So we got Washington, state of Washington, state of Colorado, 
eighth time, of course, here. Doc's friend, I think you said his friend lives in Chicago. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, well, I got to remember that. Then yeah, ran from Detroit. the D. Yeah, ordered a shirt. So, we're yeah. going national. He's a, a big-time Piston fan like yourself. He's, he's, I he's remember a smart man. He's a smart man right freshman there. Freshman year on campus at Prairie View A&M University. He brought out the broom uh, when they defeated the Lakers so, in yes. fine fashion. That's when I got a good experience of what it means to be a Detroit Pistons fan. So that's a great way to end the podcast right there. There you go. Wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.